So welcome to um, our latest masterclass and if you're listening on the podcast to that as well. Um, today I have got with me Ben Giles from the Ultima Cleaning Academy. Welcome Ben, thank you for joining me. My pleasure, nice to be with you. Fantastic and I'm just going to talk to Ben about biohazard because that's the uh, speciality in terms of training that Ultima have um, and uh, we want to talk all things biohazard and, and all about the industry but I want to start by asking you Ben how did you get into this part of the industry in the first place? Uh, yeah quite bizarre really um, I started life out as a window cleaner um, and then um, kind of increased that to some commercial cleaning but I was always chasing quotes and fighting against people offering the same services. So I was constantly looking for a little niche, something I could do that would allow me to charge more, uh, something specialist. And um, yeah, so that's kind of what I wanted to do. And it all kind of came about that um, a lady who started the charity Age Concern was one of my window cleaning customers. And so fortunately, I had a chat with her and she mentioned to me that she had a warden assisted property that was incredibly filthy um because it was so dirty the flats on either side were both empty the warden couldn't go in to, to do her job so they managed to get the person out for the day and uh, let us go in and clean it through and it was so bad it was full of fleas the toilet was completely blocked the bath was full of feces um it was a real kind of baptism of fire walking into it and um yeah but we managed to do it and surprising to me when we'd finished um she just asked me how much we she owed us so i came up with a figure of two thousand pounds based on the problems i'd solved for her and she was like yeah fine no problem so i kind of thought well if i could earn two thousand pounds in a day for three lads then that was going to be far better than chasing 50p a window window cleaning yeah, window cleaning is a tough old business, isn't it? Going around and collecting the money and all of that. So, yeah, it's completely different. So, so really, you obviously, you started out as a window cleaner, but then you got into biohazard cleaning itself. So how did it kind of grow from there? Yeah, well, I wanted to get some formal training to see what was available. And in all honesty, the only course available at the time was a course by the British Institute of Cleaning Science, um, which was incredibly poor. Um, we went to uh, the old Matthew Bolton College, in Birmingham and um, uh, a lovely lady taught us how to clean tomato sauce off a nice white desk uh, and that was about as far as it went it was really poor in fact I came away from that with the staff I'd taken and none of us were inspired or given any confidence to deal with anything and it was quite obvious that that person hadn't also dealt with anything um, like we were going to come across in the future yeah. So, um, but it gave us a piece of paper. It gave us a, a training certificate, which said that we'd had formal training. And therefore we went ahead and started to advertise to solicitors, undertakers, police forces, um, anyone we could thought would may be dealing with void properties or houses where someone had uh, passed away or had a violent death. And uh, yeah, so the first one that we had was genuinely a, a gentleman had passed away. Um, he decomposed through the carpet, through the wooden floor into the concrete. Uh, it took me about six hours to get the body fat out of the concrete. So it was a far cry from tomato sauce on a desk. Um, and when we completed it, although we were really kind of happy and we were overjoyed that we'd we'd done it and we felt we'd done it really well, um, we had sanitizing, we had deodorizing, we had the waste to deal with um, and the general cleanup. But we um, we were conscious that 
we live in the west Wales, west area of West Wales, right on the coast, so it's a long way from anywhere. And if we were to ask other people to do this for us, we needed to formulate some kind of training for them. So that's kind of how it developed from carrying out the services, but it was also nearly instantly a recognition that we needed to produce a training course to help other people do this. Fantastic. So my initial thoughts when I hear you sort of talking about that is, is the, the risk um, there's the cleaning task itself, but for me, the risk um, is quite high, isn't it? Definitely. I mean, there's there's a lot of unknowns. So we we kind of the more society changes, the more people's travel plans change. Uh, we see, you know, if you, if you go back probably 50 years, our grandparents went on holiday to Bognor or somewhere down the road. And now we see people going for a four day trip to Peru. Uh, so the tr- travel patterns of people have changed, foods changed. So the, the world has got a much smaller place. And as such, we're facing um, pathogens, uh, bloodborne pathogens that we have never come across before. Uh, COVID-19 was a great example of that, um, that it traveled as a pandemic from one country to another incredibly quickly. Uh, but we also know of some other things. So there's like hepatitis B. We're aware that lives in dry body fluid for at least a week. Uh, in wet, in the wet state, in water. So even in seawater, it could survive for up to eight weeks. And then you've got other pathogens like HIV, along with all of the food-based um, kind of bacteria we're aware of, like Salmonella, E. coli, Listeria, all of these kind of things as well. So yeah, there are there are huge dangers to people in this industry, um, and we were trying to minimise those as well to get the risks down to as small as they could be for our, our teams. Yeah. So has the PPE, the personal protective equipment, changed from when you were first, those first cleans to now? 100%, yeah. So we, we again, we were completely blind. There was nothing really developed for the sector. Um, and we, it was a, a combination of things that were already out there that we were trying to, to make work. Um, and we were over-bubbling. And we were ended up giving ourselves heat exhaustion by some of the suits we were wearing, some of the masks we were wearing. And so, um, so we had we had this combination of people wearing uh, equipment that wasn't fit for purpose, and then others that were wearing too much, which creating other issues. So, we worked with a, a team of, of of people to develop um, PPE based on other industries primarily, and um, then yeah, we we now source PPE specifically for what we do. So specific masks that don't let any odors through. So if anyone's scared of cleaning up vomit or or feces that's got a malodor or decomposed body matter, the masks take away all odor um, from the situation. Um, visors, certain categories of suits and uh, types of suits in those categories are important to give a protection. Uh, right down to, to gloves that's changed over the years from latex and powdered latex, which now causes irritants and issues for people, which are now nitrile gloves. So, yeah, and even for needles, picking up needles, the gloves have changed from gloves that had very little protection, um, although they had lovely symbols of kind of anti-needle syringe um, marks on them. And the reality was they were lethal on the back of the hands. Nobody realized they had zero protection. So now we're working with gloves that give you 100% protection as well. Yeah. But, but there's also this reality that that um, the thought of PPE being our first line of defense um, is, is incorrect. Um, it's actually our safety net. Um, we kind of developed methods and we developed um, risk assessments to minimize risks uh, and and to allow us to work safely. So it's the way so, that you clean, not just the, the like you said, the PPE is the last 
sort of bit. Definitely, if something goes wrong, protection. the PPE will rescue you. That's the that's what it's there for. It just is there as a safety net. But if you follow methods, product choice, then actually we minimise all of those risks of cross contamination. Brilliant. So, so obviously you then you realise that you, if you were going to have more teams going out there carrying out the cleans, you needed better training. And obviously, we'd already knew that there was nothing other than cleaning some tomato sauce off a table, which is yeah. you already knew wasn't adequate. So, how did that evolve then? Because that must have been quite a big ask at the time. It was yeah, actually. I mean, I'm I'm not really academic, although I do enjoy getting my teeth into um, into things. So I, I kind of. Um, drill down on all the specifics that we we needed and that we'd come across. Probably in the first six months, we came across a whole range of jobs, ranging from a shotgun suicide in a, on a stairwell. You can imagine the fallout from that is pretty horrendous. Uh, decompositions, so saturation into first floors, where we had wooden floors that needed to be cut out, um, chipboard flooring. Um, we dealt with needles in car parks and in play areas and in void properties. And then along with body fluid from fights and road traffic accidents, things like that. So we were able to, to build a training program based on that. So, so it's actually the, the three-day training course that we offer online, uh, we offer face-to-face -face, and the online course coupled with the confidence day that we offer. They cover some bizarre things that people wouldn't normally think about. Um, actually, you get access to a, a pest control course which is um, given uh, as part of the course from Kilgem, one of the leading pest control uh, training suppliers in the UK, because we came across uh, flies, larvae, uh, skin beetles, maggots that we have to deal with, and we need to buy professional products, so we need professional training for those. That's one element of it. Another element is a, a carpenter coming on the course to show you how to cut out floors without damaging services that are underneath like water gas pipes electric um, sewage pipes etc underneath the floorboards so that's also a part of it um, we've also got a health and safety element of the course so anyone who does the course will be adept in producing risk assessments method statements understanding kosh um, so that's quite an important part of it as well, because um, actually that's required very often by lots of our uh, clients and it's, it's good practice for them going forward. So uh, coupled with waste as well, how do you get rid of waste um, when you've got a, a saturated carpet that's got body fluid on it? Where should that go? How should you carry it? What license did you need to carry it? What paperwork do you need to fill in? What European waste codes do you need to understand? Uh, all of those things. So yeah, it's very, very full on. It's gone. It's it's a complete different course from tomato sauce on a, on a white desk. <laughs> yeah, and and it sounds to me like if you're training on the more extreme, then does that mean naturally you'll be able to cope with, for instance, like your first type of clean a bit more, and it's still lots of biohazard, but more of a hoarder's clean than a crime scene, for instance. Uh, yeah, so um, the, the two go hand in hand, to be honest with you. I mean, you, you've got dangers wherever you've got body fluid. So if somebody's cleaning even just a nursery with children, you've got vomit, you've got feces, you've got um, due to data protection, you don't know who's there or what you're cleaning up. And that kind of passes through schools, universities, um, wherever you've got lots of people, you get lots of body fluid. Hoarders are, um, properties are quite interesting because um, you've normally got a combination of stored body fluid as well. So typically um, deciding to bottle urine or we have lots of sites where people wrap their feces up and keep it in freezers. 
uh, it's a it's a, a bizarre co you know combination of things you have to deal with but the dangers are exactly the same yeah. anywhere you have body fluid we would recommend that people do a course or some have some formal training yeah that yeah. they have awareness of those pathogens that they're dealing with so it's actually it's interesting what you said there that actually if people are wanting to do you know actual biohazard cleaning they need your training but actually any kind of cleaning really could does always bring you into contact with even cleaning somebody's house can potentially bring you into contact with body fluid yeah 100 percent. you know 100 percent. that we, we 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 find people who come on our training courses are from such bizarre backgrounds we've got um we've had people come on the course who their whole business is sanitizing ma massage parlors um we have other people who's who are sanitizing boats that are being discovered um that are, are have brought refugees across from France into the UK. Um, shipping containers. Some people clean up um, vomit on ferries and private uh, airlines. Yeah. Think of private ambulances. But even down to domestic properties, if you're coming across body fluid, there's exactly the same danger um, of contracting a, a pathogen from body fluid that you have no idea where it's come from or who's potentially left it there. So do you think that in the industry itself, it's really good to niche it like that? Is that what a lot of the most successful people do from what you've seen? I think, yeah, I think that there's there's a really difficult situation of, of forming an accreditation because body fluid is in so many different areas. However, I do think if people are actively putting themselves into a situation where they're encountering body fluid that they don't know who it's come from, how long it's been there, or or what the dangers are associated with it, then formal training must be a part of their, their kind of um, go-to place. They must have something to fall back on. Yeah. The, the the biggest issue with this is, I think, is that if it's quite a serious concern that if somebody doesn't take this into account and they inadvertently catch hepatitis B from cleaning up someone's body fluid, um, the repercussions for that are absolutely massive. Um, it it's causes, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Cirrhosis of the liver creates massive issues. Um, it means that their relationships with their partners completely change. Can't even use the swimming pool, a public swimming bath. Um, and yeah, horrendously long-term illness can come from it. So just by learning good practice, by learning good methods, by understanding what the industry is about, uh, even if that could save somebody from from uh, that situation, it, it's worth it. Yeah. So, what do you think is the great thing about the biohazard part of the cleaning industry, and what's the best bit about it? I think cleaners normally get kind of this rap that anybody can do it. Um, it's kind of one of those businesses where um, if someone's trying to penny pinch, very often they'll get rid of the cleaner and do it themselves. So that is kind of a, a something that's been associated with the industry that it's not really a proper job in some people's <laughs> eyes yeah. whereas actually biohazard is incredibly um regulated it's incredibly professional and there's this whole fear around what we do that makes it really specialized so so first of all it gives you a niche gives you an opportunity to upsell your services increase your pricing it allows you to carry out work on a number of different sites where actually you might increase work. So lots of the times we go to a property where they need a few services relating to cleaning, but the first one is biohazard. 
to be able to clean up the body fluid so they can release all the other surfaces. So very often we pick up all those other surfaces as well, which is quite good. It's kind of similar to if you get a builder's clean and the first one you get is the porter cabin, then where the workers are, then normally it knocks on in effect to get through to the, the final building cleaner, maybe even the contract for the new property. It's very much like that um, with, with this. So we we clean properties and, and unlock all these situations so the property can be developed for, for, for selling or it can be developed for, for other uses, which gives us an opportunity to win more business as well. Yeah. And do you think that the training, so, you know, my business is predominantly domestic. We don't do any biohazard cleaning. And over the years, I have turned away a lot of work because they wanted regular cleaning. And I'm just like, you need something else first. Yeah. We, we can't deal with this. So do you think for somebody like myself as a cleaning business owner and domestically, you know, that's an opportunity missed, isn't it, for me? If, if we did some form of biohazard training, then... 100%. I think, I think it's not only is an opportunity missed, but... If you're allowing another cleaning contractor to come in to your kind of your uh, marketplace with those skills, then very often they're going to take that work off you as yeah, well yeah. in the long term. So it's also protecting the work that you have, protecting your clients. Uh, and I think it's also important to keep uh, we, we often produce a newsletter, um, regular newsletter to our clients to let them know what we're doing. Um, what what new equipment we're using, who we're working with. I found it really interesting that this has been a predominantly male industry and females coming into this business has made a huge difference. Um, there's lots of properties where males um, are just not invited into these environments like homes for battered women and things like that, which are, are tragic situations. However, it has to be a woman to work there. We've even had instructions from insurance companies asking for a female to attend a scene because they feel it would be better from the trauma that she's gone through than having a male on site. So lots of different things, but, but to be able to protect your customer base uh, from another company, I think that's also part of the reason why we did it in the first place um, to, to try and protect what we had and then increase our business. I also felt when it, when it was, when I'd come across these situations, I just felt awful that we couldn't help. That I couldn't, you know, we, we're not trained to have our team in that sort of circumstance. And I had to go back to it was wasn't usually the actual person needing the cleaning that had contacted us. It would be like age concern and um, age UK. We quite often get contacted social services and we're just like we can't help. And they seem really stuck, actually, for people that can help. I agree. Yeah, definitely. And uh, we we come across this all the time. Um, social services, especially when somebody's been in hospital and they need yeah. to come home you normally have this um, concoction of, uh, of body fluid. Their mattresses are normally soiled. There's there's soiling on the carpets where they've tried to walk to the bathroom. It's exactly the same principle, exactly the same dangers, but it's nearly in a, a domestic setting. Therefore, it fits very, very well with anybody who's trying to increase work or actually having to say no currently because they're, they're not sure of what to do. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, and we find that with social services, they're nearly begging us to also reduce the quote or split the quote up so that they can write an order for it there and then rather than having to go and get three quotes which is when it goes over a certain order value because they just don't know three companies no. that can carry out that work yeah so that's probably why they're on the phone to domestic cleaning companies thinking well it's a house they'll be able to do it yeah so that there's opportunities there sort of on a smaller scale really aren't there yeah. if you yeah. know the training yeah. okay so what are the what are the 
pitfalls then do you think about this part of the industry <laughs> what, what problems obviously apart from the actual obvious problems of the actual cleaning what what holds people back what stops people being successful um i think that there's an aspiration that people think as soon as they've done the training suddenly the floodgate's going to open and work, work is just going to pour in um which would be lovely and so in some instances genuinely we get people come on our training we've just completed a three-day training course this week in fact wednesday was the last day and as we left two or three of the companies had done some proactive advertising before they came on the course and already were going back to the first um, biohazard clean um, this week so it does happen sometimes very quickly however the reality is probably someone is trying to do this in their area um, currently so so that's my first thing is for people to be aware that it's kind of a bolt-on it's a really good bolt-on and even if you get one or two jobs it will pay for all of your training and all of your equipment so in the short term it might be a little waiting game a long term um it, it will definitely pay for itself and it'll pay dividends um so that's the first so people's aspiration uh, secondly i think there's a reality that people should get some inoculations and sometimes people do this training and then realize on the training that they have inoculations to get um to to to, to go through so for specifically for tetanus keep that up to date and also for hepatitis b which is a series of three injections over three months sometimes six months so it's worth getting that in place before you do the training that's not just you that's your team isn't it exactly yeah the team as well um and talk to your team to see who actually wants to do this because um if you go down that route and, you, and you've got no fears and and no trauma of the situation doesn't affect you you may end up struggling to get someone to support you with that um so that that's also but i think also people aim very high which is great i mean we see all these you know kind of brilliant phrases about aiming high and and being the best you can be but in this industry very often if a tender comes out say for a police force which is for their decontamination work um and say the value is half a million pounds well we might think oh we'd love to do that that'd be great but actually to qualify for that we have to be turning over at least half a million pounds a year so for, to come from a domestic environment you have to start small yeah and i would say go and see housing managers housing officers if you're cleaning a property for somebody where do they work what's their job title do they know of opportunities for you it's all about opening those opportunities if you know an undertaker it's like gold dust you can work with them but if you don't know them to try and get into that industry is very protected uh, you think of the kind of customer services that an undertaker puts on of kind of this, this they're always immaculate their vehicles are immaculate and they protect what they have. Therefore, if if we go to them and just assume we're going to get work, it's not necessarily the case. They they want to protect their name and their reputation. So so yeah, lots of lots of kind of pitfalls people can have. And also, I don't want people to do our training uh, and go off and spend thousands and thousands of pounds on equipment and vehicles, because I think that's um, we don't need to do that in this day and age. Uh, most things are available next day uh, and if you do need a vehicle and you haven't got one you can just hire a van go and hire a vehicle rather than you know going from a, a little domestic cleaning company with a couple of feet 500 cars and then spending thousands on vehicles i would always encourage people to 
to cut their cloth according to what they can afford and work their way into it. And we can help with that as well. We can help with supplying um, equipment very, very quickly for them or loaning it to them. Yeah, oh, that's good. And that's good business advice generally, isn't it, for any business, that you don't need yeah. everything up front. You know, it's not a game of who's got the biggest tools. No. It's, it's who's got the best business. And, and you grow, like you say, as 100%. as you grow the business, you grow what you need. Yeah, and you can get all of this stuff so quickly or hide it in the cost of the job. Yeah. So, um, for instance, today, we're probably, as a, an academy, carrying out about 40 jobs a day. Um, so the academy is 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 built in two different ways. Um, we have a small cleaning company in West Wales, which we service ourselves. So the kind of predominantly the David Powers Police area, we look after that. That's where all of our knowledge bases come from. Then they have the well, then we have the um, the Ultima Cleaning Academy, which is part of our training arm. And then people who've completed our training, if they want to become part of our network, then they become part of Ultima Environmental. And so we subcontract that work out to those networks around the UK. And I said about 40 or 50 jobs a day currently that we're passing out. So through COVID, I think we subcontracted about two million pounds to our network. So, um, so yeah, it's a, it's a really viable business, but just as long as people's aspirations uh, don't run before you can walk. Yeah. I think, I think a lot of people in any industry, in any business, (coughs) For an easy fix aren't they and it's like if you've got a business that's struggling you know, well I'll do this this will fix it it's yeah. not always as simple as that is it no, definitely definitely and that's come from us from you know I've not come I'm not some suit in an office who's you know worked this out on an excel sheet I've come from a window cleaning background and in West Wales where there's more sheep than people um, <laughs> we've managed to to develop a multi-million pound business based on biohazard cleaning but yeah. we know the pitfalls we know the walls that you hit. We know what stifles business. We've, you know, we, we know who we should market to, who we shouldn't, um, those kind of things. And all of that we're trying to share with people coming on our training course. So tell me about the actual training course. Then I know there's an online short course, isn't there? And then there's the three day course. So tell me about both of those. So the online course is actually um, it's very interactive. Um, You can download it. The cost is exactly the same. So we haven't kind of there's no difference in price for some people. They want to come on the three day course face to face, meet us, talk with us, actually network with kind of 20, 30 other people in the same business. So that's quite valuable. Um, But but the e-learning course is for those who are want to do it from home, want to work at their own pace. Uh, want to go through their their, their course slowly uh, or maybe a bit slower than others and that helps them to just digest it to learn what there is and it covers the same material the only thing it doesn't cover is a practical element of it yeah. so we encourage people who've done the training if they want to purchase the full training course online then they get an automatic invite to a confidence day to come to our face-to-face um, training day where we have um, a vehicle which is kind of like a setup inside to have um, a bedroom scene, it has a bathroom scene and a kitchen scene, all with fake blood, fake needles, body parts, bits. It's kind of a, a whole um, kind of mix of things that they have to clean up. Yeah. Uh, along with that is um, we've got another vehicle set up outside, which is just for cleaning road traffic accidents. So we throw lots of body fluid or fake body fluid over roadways uh, needles and we pick uh, we, we kind of go through that to clean that up and then we also have a specific needle pick 
um, in that as well. So they have to learn how to collect needles, where to look for them in those environments outside in car parks, where they would be drains, etc., stuff like that. So th there's a combination with the e-learning coupled with the face-to-face -face coming on that confidence day. Um, so that's the first thing. If people just want to buy individual courses on the e-learning courses, they can as well. So if somebody just sees there's a niche in their area for just needles or just for um, for, for murder scenes or whatever they want to do specific, they can just purchase those individual courses as okay. well. So it's nice and flexible. And what yeah. I like about the fact that you've got that sort of the, with the confidence day or with the three day in person one is that not only do they learn how to clean it up, but I suppose they will find out. Is this for them? Hundred percent. Yeah, I mean, we have had so so on on the on both courses, all of the photographs, all of the step by step um, procedures that or step by step workthroughs of jobs are all our own photographs, our own jobs we've been on, and they're all real. So um, there's one specifically which is a shotgun suicide of a 16 year old lad, um, which is incredibly traumatic, and we've had people start crying and walk out of the training room and said, I just can't do this. And I think at least they've got that before they go put themselves in that situation. So it can be quite, quite traumatic, quite serious. Um, on the e-learning courses as well, and um, we didn't just want it like a, a Mr. Chips from catchphrase walks in and cleans up something. Yeah. So the e-learning courses ha have a variety of interactions. Some of them are 360 degree cameras, where you can put your phone if you want to into a, a headset and you can walk around, look around the room. You can see what we're doing. You can see what the operator is cleaning up. Um, you can zoom in to see specific areas. Um, and that that's uh, we've got on those for cleaning up um, saturated carpeting with body fluid, needle picks, vinyl flooring, all those kind of things. So it's not just um, a typical e-learning course. It was developed to be really practical and really, really hands-on as much as you can be. Yeah. Did you develop that during COVID or was that already in place? Uh, no, we, we, we developed it before. And basically we, we realised that most people are incredibly busy. And so some people cannot afford to take three days out of their work yeah. or their staff to come to our training centre in Bristol and stay for three days um, and then go back to their business. So it was developed purely because that people are asking us, could we reduce the course time to one day or do one day and then in the next month do another day and we just couldn't do that so it was developed specifically for that so they uh, and we get three sorry. days on site with you or they can do it online with the confidence yeah. Day yeah. and so the three days on site um if it was me personally i much prefer face to face i much before being i prefer being able to interact with with humans um um so on that training day uh on those three days course we cover needle picks needles we cover waste we cover blood pump pathogens first day second day um, we cover um, types of death um, all the suicides murders that they're going to come across again with individual walkthroughs experiences coupled with a practical needle pick that they do that day a practical floor cutting exercise and a health and safety executive comes in and teaches them how to prepare risk assessments method statements and then on Wednesday, we cover uh, basically the group is split into four and it kind of rotates. So one goes and learns how to do fogging, uh, what a fogging machine does, what it can't do, what it does do, what should go in it, how we need to sanitize or how we should sanitize large areas. 
Uh, that group will then move to um, a, a due diligence course to learn how to do bacteria testing, swabbing, how to do protein swabs to see whether there's any body fluid left after cleaning, how to um, test the parts per million saturation of the chemical we're using to make sure putting enough sanitizer on a surface, we can prove that to our customers. So all of that. Then they move to the next core part of the course, which is to learn practically suited and booted outside in the car park, cleaning up vomit or blood and body fluid from road traffic accidents. And then after that, they move into the fourth section, which is the three scenarios of how to clean domestic environments, kitchens, bedrooms, lounges, cutting out carpets, cutting out mattresses. What can we cut out? What do we need to put in straight into waste? And uh, then we cover waste management after that, um, licenses, uh, where they should take waste, how they should transport it. And um, finally, we go through a small section on marketing and advertising, which um, which I think is really invaluable. It's, um, it's just basically how we got from a window cleaning company to a multi-million pound business to encourage them who we spoke to, what we did, what we didn't do, what worked, what didn't work. And um, that's quite interactive as well. Yeah. And then they've got uh, a good model there, haven't they? So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Basically, I mean, we want people to succeed. You know, I've been on so many training um, kind of days myself where it's just about sales and it really winds me up. Uh, that's not what this is about. People can buy their products wherever they want to. We just want them to have the skills and the knowledge base to be able to succeed and um, and to work with us. So yeah. part of it is also an interview with us. We're kind of seeing yeah, what the capabilities are. Yeah, you're building a network there, haven't you? And Definitely. We're trusting them. We trust them to represent them, re re represent us. Yeah. But we also want them to trust us. We want them to get to know us and understand how we work. So, yeah, it works really, really well. I mean, we have zero negative feedback on it. And specifically on the last course, there was two ladies that came, one from Nottingham, one from down Cornwall. Um, both had done the e-learning, um, the fully learning package came for the confidence day and um, they loved it. They loved both uh, both elements of it. It was perfect for what they were doing. Other people, I said, just really love the face to face three days. So there's a combination of whatever suits people. Good to have that flexibility, isn't it? So can I ask you about CPD accreditation? First of all, how important is it for the industry? And I know that Ultima are, are <coughs> as a provider, but actually all your courses are all individually accredited as well, aren't they? That's correct. Yeah. So they're all independently accredited. So we have um, so CPD covers all of our um, all of our training courses online and face to face. Uh, important, really. I think accreditation has to be there um there's lots of people try to compete with what we're doing um and also accreditation can also go overboard so when we first started we were part of the open college network and including in that training not only did we have to have the three-day face-to-face course but our um trainees had to do 20 hours of homework every over those three days and they were just completely fried it wow. was just too much information yeah. So for us to, to, so CPD, continued personal development, means that all the training has been vetted by external accreditors. They've looked at it, see there's a benefit of it. They're willing to put their name to it. They vet us as um, uh, with auditors to see whether uh, we're actually carrying out what we're saying, we're doing properly. Our trainers are trained. 
people have had experience of, of this kind of work. That's the other thing I think as well. Some courses, you can just pull a file off of a shelf and a, and a, a trainer who's used to training can just go through it and learn it very quickly. You cannot learn how to clean decomposed body matter that's dripping through a ceiling onto our tech ceiling, which contains asbestos, running through light bulbs onto the floor below. How do you even start to train someone how to do that unless you've experienced it? And that was part of the vetting process by CPD. Right. So they actually went through who was doing the training, what experience they had. Yeah. As well as. Yeah. Wow. So it's quite complex. How long does that take? So I, I, obviously I know registering as a provider is relatively quick, isn't it? It's all about sending documents. But the actual courses, how long does that process did that process take? Um, it, it's weeks and weeks and it's it's continuous feedback. So they come back to us saying, actually, can we change this wording so it's a little easier to understand? Or can we um, can we have evidence that you can you, you can back this up? Uh, this image that you've put on, what are you trying to determine from this image? Because actually there seems to be some things wrong with that image. Wow. And then we'll say, actually, yeah, that's an image we use to to show wrong practice or bad practice and we compare it with another one for good practice so there is a lot of vetting um gone through it and um but but most importantly if anybody's running a business where they've got staff who work for them who want to kind of climb a ladder then lots of businesses state that they're going to provide so many cpd points per year for their staff so they might say they're going to give 15 points a year or five points a year training and they can just go online and choose whatever courses they want to do based on that so so continual person development courses are very very good and um, with this um the three-day course i think covers nearly 20 points um, of training so it's quite a heavy course whereas online each one is maybe broken down to two or three points per course but it just adds to someone's continual development yeah, so someone's building their own portfolio of skills then yeah. it helps yeah. from that point of view brilliant okay so where do you see the industry i mean if you sort of talked about you know these things are going on and we're not always aware of them do you feel it's sort of a little bit hidden the industry or is it i mean i know there was a there was actually a television series wasn't there about a crime scene cleaner not that long ago yeah yeah yeah, yeah, it was from Greg Davis. That was that was quite funny. In fact, we we inadvertently got asked loads of questions by their their um, production crew asking yeah. asking information on set. Yeah, and that happens quite often. Um, but yeah, I think the industry go back fifteen years. The the tender came out for the local police force to clean. It was just cleaning one line cleaning, and it just identified some things. Now they want a separate company to do decontamination work. It's recognised as a separate business. So decontamination of vehicles, forensic tread plates and tents, pop-up tents, drying cabinets, cells, crime scenes, all of that stuff is viewed as completely secondary to Mrs Mop, who was cleaning the offices coming down and now cleaning the cells. So That's the people all commissioning stopped. it now understand that it's... Definitely, yeah. And actually, COVID has helped massively in our industry because the 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 kind of perceived idea of clean uh, cleanliness going back even three years was a shiny floor whereas actually not many people care about a shiny floor anymore they want a safe floor and if we can show them that we're putting down product that will last on that surface or it'll keep building up a resistance or we can treat specifically then that's been really, really good. And even those companies that were appalling at, at doing this, we had lots of people who kind of brought a, a fogger off of eBay 
and you know made themselves a cotton mask out of a, a couple of J cloths and off they would go and, and say that they were professional cleaners well that was evidence to anyone in the industry that they didn't have a clue what they were doing so it made us more professional and it allowed us to charge much much more in fact people don't vet us on our on our cost it's on the quality that they get uh, from from what we offer so the more we can increase the quality and and solve their problems the more we could charge and um, yeah so it, it's um, the industry has completely changed decontamination sanitizing biohazard cleaning is now a recognized industry and there's also a recognized professional standard that needs to be carried out yeah brilliant okay so obviously um if our members want to access the course they think we've got you're on our deals page in our mem own private members area but they they contact you guys don't they to to get their um, yeah. discount don't they yeah definitely just phone give us a call in the office i mean i'm, I'm very much a face-to-face -face or or kind of phone to, to 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 ear person i love speaking with people rather than texting and and uh, and emailing however um whatever platform you you want to to talk to us on is there and uh in the office nicola who kind of primarily currently deals with all of the training she will just work with you to see what your needs are what fits best she will never oversell you anything um she she desperately wants people to succeed as much as we do in their business yeah. so um so just pulling out what courses are best for you if it's on e-learning that may be the, the way to go but the and also if somebody wants to to take out the three-day course and um, we offer those every quarter so the next one is in september yeah have you still got spaces left on that one yeah it fills up very quickly there's a few spaces on it but also if somebody's struggling financially and they want to put a payment plan in place then nicola can arrange that as well so um up until a certain um period of time beforehand we can accept a little payment plan if that's easier but i do reiterate that if you get one job from it just one you will probably pay for all of your training um costs on it so it, it's it's hard to it's quite difficult when we get people come on the course to kind of see the difference between the values of commercial cleaning compared to domestic um it's um it's nice when we get someone come on the course who's been involved in fire and flood work because that kind of disaster management they 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 look at our prices and get them straight away yeah. we've got no qualms with them but coming from a background of just domestic cleaning people think oh, i can't charge can't charge myself out of that rate well 100 percent. We, we currently pay our network um hundreds of pounds per hour uh for, for reacting to to these situations so it's it's definitely worth it it's a bit it's a big battle in in particularly in the domestic industry know your worth anyway um yes obviously you can't charge the same as biohazard but people even in you know even in normal domestic think they can't charge more than they're currently charging and they're usually wrong um so yeah coming with that mentality it's very price sensitive whereas yeah. like you said that it's skill sensitive it seems like in biohazard definitely and if you bring something else to the table i mean even if even if people like you as a person in domestic cleaning what would they prepare to keep you it's very it's quite bizarre you know people sometimes hand their notice in and say I'm leaving and very often the employer's reaction is oh, I'll give you two pound an hour more please stay and you think that that shows you actually that you've been underpaid for ages yeah. um, because you haven't demanded it and and often we, we forget that we, we bring a real difference or make a real difference to people's lives and therefore 
there's real opportunities domestic ways to increase what we charge but also commercially just give you a snapshot imagine somebody's passed away in a property they've been there for five or six weeks they live on their own um their family obviously are estranged from them because nobody's gone to see them in that time so it's so it's quite sad but what's going to happen to that property mm. it will 100 percent be sold and whoever's going to receive the benefit that's that property's value is probably going to receive what's the average house price between 180 250,000 therefore to spend 5000 pounds on a company to go and clean it sanitize it maybe repaint a few rooms unlock all the problems around that currently sit there it's just a no brainer so we never have to fight for for costs in our industry I never have to fight for it at all i suppose you're never going to have that conversation of what well, we could do it ourselves <laughs> No, exactly. It doesn't happen. Unless you're dealing with some kind of landlord. The only time it gets a little mundane is when you're dealing with, say, working for the police and cleaning cells becomes bread and butter money rather than something unique because they're so used to it. You know, you're talking 30, 40 cells a night in some custodies. So it's um, so that's the only thing. But but for definitely for one off cleans um, where there's been something traumatic happened it's never a question of of how much it's just a question of can you do it fantastic oh thank you so much ben that's been really really interesting and um, i hope everybody watching or listening has found that as interesting as i did because i'm not educated in biohazard at all but actually you make it really clear what's involved and and i really like that and that sort of speaks well of ultima i think oh thank you very much been a real pleasure thank you thank you